Well, good evening, everyone. I hope you're having a good bank holiday weekend. Um, if you're not there, my name is Ben. I'm the assistant minister, and uh, it's great to have you with us if it's your first time here. I hope I get a chance to meet you afterwards. Tonight, we get to see Jesus speaking about maybe the biggest question that there is. How do we get into heaven? How can we have eternal life? Uh, how do we get into the kingdom of God? But why listen to Jesus on this big, possibly the biggest of all, uh, questions? Well, here's what Jesus says in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Uh, Son of Man being Jesus' favorite name for himself. Uh, so Jesus is saying, I'm the only one who has come from heaven, uh, and therefore I'm the only one uh, who can show you the way to heaven. So wherever you're coming from uh, this evening, uh, let's just stop uh, and take some time to hear what Jesus says to this question. And let's pray before we go any further. Father God, we thank you so much for the chance to take time out this bank holiday weekend and press pause so that we can think about the really important things in life. I pray that you would... Help us to put aside all the other things that are on our minds uh, today over this weekend and to stop and listen to you in your words. Please speak to each one of us here this evening. Amen. Well, the first thing uh, that we see in this passage tonight is what won't get you into the kingdom of God. And we're told that there's this man named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus at night. Uh, it seems that he wants a bit of cover. Uh, he wants to be under cover of darkness. Uh, but who is this uh, mystery man, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus at night? Uh, well, verse 1, uh, we read that he is a Pharisee. Uh, the Pharisees were a, a, a group of Jews who were particularly devout uh, and strict. Uh, they were so keen not to break the laws on the Sabbath uh, and to make sure they were resting on the Sabbath uh, that apparently they would carry no more than one fig uh, as a snack. Uh, and one teaspoon of milk. I'm not sure I would class that as a snack, personally. Uh, I'm not sure I could cope very well with that. Uh, we're also told that he was an important Jewish leader, uh, a member of the Jewish ruling council, uh, and a teacher of Israel. Uh, there's evidence that he had a, an, arist an aristocratic family. Uh, that, uh, and later on in the Gospels, he brings a really expensive gift. Uh, and so it seems that he was probably wealthy. And he's most likely well-educated as well. Uh, so this man, Nicodemus, is a man of status. Uh, he's devout about his religion. Uh, and what's more, uh, I think from what we can tell here, he seems like a reasonable guy, doesn't he? Uh, he says to Jesus, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, uh, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Uh, he doesn't speak down to Jesus. Uh, he calls him Rabbi, teacher. Uh, and he clearly recognizes Jesus as someone special. Uh, maybe he comes at night because he's a bit worried about what others in the Jewish ruling council will think of him. But he is intrigued by Jesus. Uh, he wants to find out more. He, he seems like someone who respects Jesus. Uh, he's humble. Uh, maybe he's open-minded. And he, he wants to learn. In fact, I think he's probably the sort of guy uh, who people back then would have expected to have a golden ticket to heaven. Uh, you'd think his religious background, his devout observance, uh, his general good nature would have earned him acceptance 
with God. And in the way he talks to Jesus, uh, it's kind of like he's saying, uh, I'm with you, Jesus. Uh, you're one of us. Uh, God is with you. Uh, we're on the same side. Uh, we know that we're part of God's kingdom. But do you see Jesus' reply in verse 3? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, uh, which is the phrase Jesus uh, usually uses when he wants to say something really important. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And you see, it's easy for us to miss how shocking this is. He's essentially saying to Nicodemus, no, you're not in. I don't think you're part of God's kingdom. Even you. Not unless you're born again. We're quite used to the language of being born again, aren't we? The press often use, born, uh, say, born again Christian. Uh, uh, it's a phrase we're kind of used to. Uh, but they weren't used to it back then. Uh, and telling someone they need to be born again uh, is quite a strong thing. I mean, imagine if uh, we had an, a new mum in the church, uh, bringing her new baby in one Sunday, uh, showing him or her off to the rest of the church family. Uh, and imagine that I walk up uh, and I say, well, I kind of glance down at the baby, I'm about to congratulate her, and I say, that baby needs to be born again. I mean, how rude would that be? It would go down like a lead balloon, wouldn't it? I'd probably get a formal complaint. Because essentially it would be saying, there's a real problem with that baby. And Jesus is actually saying the same thing to Nicodemus. He's saying, none of the things you do will make you right with God. I wonder what comes to mind for you uh, if you think about what you might hold out before God if he asked you why you should be allowed into heaven. You see, Jesus is saying here, it doesn't matter how religious you are, like Nicodemus, uh, how much you know about the Bible, the scriptures, uh, how wealthy you are, how important you are, uh, how much you respect Jesus as a good person, how much you give into charity, uh, how many good things you've done. None of those things are enough to get you into the kingdom of God. Uh, they weren't for Nicodemus, uh, and they're not for us today. So the question is, what will get you into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you need to be born again. Now, understandably at this point, uh, Nicodemus is confused. Uh, maybe you are too. Uh, I mean, how can you be born again? Do you see what Nicodemus says in verse 4? He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Uh, can he enter a, a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Uh, Nicodemus thinks Jesus is talking about physical rebirth. Uh, and so Jesus explains further, doesn't he? And he says that phrase again, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Uh, Jesus says, look, I'm not talking about being born of the flesh. Uh, I'm not talking about some sort of second physical birth. Uh, I'm saying that you need to be spiritually reborn. But what does Jesus mean by that? 
To understand that, uh, we need to rewind uh, 600 years, uh, pull into a lay-by, and go back to the time of Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel was uh, a prophet 600 years before Jesus. Uh, and at that time, God's people, the Israelites, uh, had pushed God away. Uh, and Ezekiel was concerned about the sin of his people. Uh, but God speaks through Ezekiel. Uh, and he makes some promises about what will happen when the Messiah, that God's promised king, comes. Uh, and here's what Ezekiel says, uh, Ezekiel chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel promises that when the Messiah, God's king, comes, two things will happen. Firstly, the people are going to be totally cleansed of their sin and their hearts are going to be changed so that they actually want to follow God. And water is a symbol of that cleansing from sin like we have in the baptism service. And secondly, he promises us that at that time, God is going to put his spirit in them uh, in a way that causes them to follow him and change their hearts. So fast forward on 600 years again uh, from Ezekiel, uh, and Jesus comes, the promised Messiah, the promised king, uh, and he says to Nicodemus, you need to be born again of water and the spirit. Uh, So do you see what Jesus is saying? Uh, He's saying, this rebirth I'm talking about is of water. Uh, It can cleanse you of your sin. And it's by God's spirit. It means that God will put his spirit in you in a way that changes your heart so that you want to live for God. Why won't Nicodemus' qualities and uh, religiosity uh, get him into the kingdom of God? Uh, Well, because just like the people in Ezekiel's day, Uh, He needs to be washed clean of his sin. Uh, He can never be good enough. Uh, And the same applies to you and to me today. Uh, We need to be cleansed and washed clean of our sin. Uh, We need a spiritual rebirth. And without it, we will never enter the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us that however good we might look on the outside, like Nicodemus, uh, on the inside... We are sinful. Uh, And like physical birth, uh, you just can't make yourself be born again. Uh, It's just not possible, however hard that you try. Maybe you feel that. Uh, If we're honest, uh, I think we know that however hard we try, uh, we we don't even manage to live up to our own standards, do we? Uh, Let alone uh, the standards, uh, God's standards and his holiness. Uh, Even with the people that we love the most, we so easily don't treat them as we would like to. And the only way for us to be washed clean uh, is for the Spirit of God to cause us to be born again. Now maybe that's uh, got your head spinning a bit. Uh, I think it probably did for Nicodemus, uh, because do you see what Jesus says to him in verse 7? He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Uh, Or in other words, yeah, yeah, I know it's pretty hard to get your head around this. 
But Jesus continues, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Uh, So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Uh, Wind can have uh, dramatic effects, can't it? I don't know if you remember uh, Storm Arwen back at the end of 2021. We had those crazy winds. Uh, It actually blew the, um, the chimney off my parents' roof. And uh, it was about the worst possible thing that could happen. The chimney fell down, hit the top of the roof, split in two, and then the chimney, we had two bits of chimneys fell down each side of the roof and took out every roof in the house. Uh, thankfully, my mum and dad were okay. Um, but wind can uh, do a lot, can't it? But we, can't, we still can't see the wind, can we? Even that really powerful wind in Storm Arwen. Uh, wind is both mysterious and it's powerful. Uh, and this new birth uh, is mysterious. It, it's God's invisible work in the human heart. And yet it is powerful. Uh, the effects on a human heart are unmistakable. Uh, maybe you've seen that in your own life. Uh, maybe you've seen that in the lives of friends who've come to know Jesus. Uh, it changes them. But back to the passage uh, in verse 9. Uh, Nicodemus, he's still at a bit of a loss, isn't he? Uh, Do you see that? He asks verse 9, how can these things be? Uh, Or how can we be born again? Uh, And this is where we need to take our second little detour uh, back to the Old Testament in the Bible, uh, to the time of Moses, uh, and to a story about some snakes. I don't know about you, but I absolutely hate snakes. Um, I think my worst nightmare is coming across a snake somewhere randomly. Um, uh, in fact, my worst nightmare is the film Snakes on a Plane. I don't know if you've ever seen this film. If you haven't, all you need to do is read the title. That sums it up, basically. Um, but that is my worst nightmare. Uh, but back in Moses' day, uh, the snakes were not a joke. Uh, once again, God's people had pushed God away. Uh, Despite him rescuing them from terrible oppression uh, and leading them to freedom, uh, they were grumbling and they were turning against him. Uh, And so God sent poisonous snakes as a judgment on the people. Uh, But the people at that point recognized their sin uh, and they repented and they asked Moses to pray to God uh, to have mercy on them. Uh, And so Moses prayed Uh, And God told Moses uh, to get a pole. So let me uh, get my pole quickly. Here's my uh, very basic prop that I knocked up earlier. Um, But he told Moses to uh, to get a pole uh, and put a crafted snake on top of the pole. And any of the Israelites who had been bitten uh, could look to the snake uh, and they would be healed. They would live. Uh, Now, notice a few things about this. Uh, The serpent on the pole uh, is for people who have already been bitten. The poison is in them. And without God intervening, they will die. Uh, Secondly, uh, God is judging the people for their ingratitude and their rebellion against him. Uh, third thing, uh, the way that God chooses to rescue the people uh, from the curse uh, is with a picture of the curse itself. Uh, and lastly, all they have to do in order to be saved from the wrath of God is to look at the snake. 
Now, here's the important bit. Uh, Listen carefully to what Jesus says in verse 14 to Nicodemus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, i.e. me, Jesus, be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You see, this this true story is a signpost to Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, Jesus, uh, in the place of the snake, is lifted up uh, as the source of healing, the source of rescue uh, from the poison of sin and the wrath of God. Uh, Jesus is the source of eternal life when we look to him. The snake on the pole is a picture of God's curse on the people. And so it was with Jesus on the cross. In becoming sin and curse for us, he took our sin and curse away. He provided a way that we can be washed clean and born again. Verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So what does it involve to be born again? How can we be born again? It means recognizing that even our very best efforts, like Nicodemus, are not enough. We are poisoned with sin. We cannot get the venom out of ourselves. And so we must repent of our sin and look to him. And we believe that Christ was lifted up on the cross for us. He hung and suffered there for us. We can look and live. You see, the heart of the Christian message is is different to every other religion there is. Uh, Because it says, it's not about you striving to earn your way into heaven. Like Nicodemus, it's about looking at what Jesus has done and believing and looking and living. Now, uh, I don't know if you've heard of uh, the great minister and preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, from the 1800s. I want to read a bit of his autobiography to finish. Uh, And it's about a time when he was just about to turn 16 years old. Uh, So if the 1800s feels like a long time ago, uh, maybe you can relate to being around that age. And he writes about the day that he came to faith in the Lord. Uh, He was sitting in church, and here's what he writes. The text, uh, the Bible passage they were looking at, uh, was, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. The preacher began thus, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, Look. Now, looking don't take a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. Many of you are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You will never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Some of you say, we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. 
The text says, look unto me. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I am sweating and great drops of blood. Look unto me. I am hanging on the cross. Look unto me. I am dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend to heaven. Look unto me. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. O poor sinner, look unto me. Look unto me. Spurgeon then writes that he was sitting there and uh, he says, I saw at once the way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought, like as when the brazen serpent was lifted up The people only looked and were healed, and it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could have almost looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone, the darkness had rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. Maybe you need to look to Christ and believe for the first time this evening, just like Spurgeon did on January the 6th 1850. Uh, Or maybe you've been a Christian for a while, uh, but you know that it's so easy to slip into striving uh, and trying to earn God's favor. A bit like Nicodemus. Uh, Rather than living for Jesus as the response for all that he has done for us. Uh, And you need to look to the cross once again uh, and give thanks and rest in him and rejoice in him. We're going to finish with a song that uh, helps us to to look to Christ. It's that classic hymn, uh, When I Survey. So let's survey the cross uh, as we sing. Uh, Let's look to the cross and believe and give thanks. Let's stand and sing.